Good morning, Alder Grove campus. It's so great to be here. What a great morning to be part of already with the baptisms. I feel like it just goes straight to potluck, but it'd be good to open God's word too. So yeah, thank you for having me here. Thanks, uh, Pastor Kevin and John and Matthew, who's off with our middle schoolers. It's really, uh, it's really a privilege for me to, to work with such amazing staff team and, um, and also to be here at the Alder Grove campus. I love um, being at all the campuses, but it's always fun to come and connect with people I know and meet, meet new people too. So we're going to be in Romans 12 today, if you have your Bibles, and I'm going to read a, a short section with you, and then we will get, uh, jump right into God's Word, the message for today. So Romans 12, uh, if you have it on the screen there as well, we'll start in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. So we've been in a series, this is week six, and it's the final week of a series entitled Deliver Us, Life in the Victory of Jesus. And here, the Apostle Paul, who is writing to the church in Rome, uh, the Roman believers, is, is writing in a way that's very practical and fits so well with our final week. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now we've learned in the last few weeks lots of things about this topic of what you know Matthew referred to as spiritual warfare. We've learned about um, just even the presence of evil in our world and in our lives and how to understand that. I know we've touched on things like temptation and lies, that these are from the evil one and they and the evil one has a plan to shipwreck our lives with, with these kind of things. But we also learned about how we stand against evil. Um, last week was the armor of God. I believe Kevin preached on that one and how we can take our stand, that we aren't defenseless. And so this week we are in our final week, overcome evil with good. So in, in one sense, this week we're going on the offense and learning what does it mean to... Um, to deal with evil in a way that, that you might say pushes it back, that we go on the offense against evil. Well, I've been watching The Chosen. Now, I don't know if any of you have, but it was re recommended to me, and I know I'm super late to the game here. It's been out for a long time, I'm sure. Um, and, I, and I'm enjoying it. I'm struggling with the embellished parts a little bit, like, Really? I don't recall reading that in my New Testament, but I get it. They're trying to make the story very interesting. How many of you have, been, have watched The Chosen at all? It's the Life of Christ kind of in this series. Yeah. 
Well, I really like the character of Jesus. So um, it's been really interesting to watch how Jesus is portrayed in, in, that, in this series, and I'd, I'd recommend the series if only for that. But I also like the way the disciples interact with Jesus in this depiction of his life. They're, they're just watching him all the time, and, and, in, and, it, and you, become to, you come to realize that, that the way they watch him and learn from him is just kind of so natural. Like, they see him go off to pray. They see him praying as he is doing ministry and performing miracles, and, you know, they, they're curious. It's not like the prayers, perhaps, that they uh, would have learned in synagogues. So they're like, Jesus, teach us how to pray. How do you pray like that? And so, of course, Jesus does. And, and we call that the Lord's Prayer. You can find that in Matthew 6 and in other Gospels. And Jesus taught us to pray through the Lord's Prayer, as we call it. And these were, these were um, th this prayer would have included just things we're supposed to talk about with God every day, all the time. This is like a framework for prayer. And part of that prayer, Jesus taught us that we have to be aware that we have an enemy, that evil is real. And that's why he teaches them to pray. Remember this line in the Lord's Prayer? Deliver us from what? Evil. Or literally, it's deliver us from the evil. So some of your translations might say deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from evil. Jesus wants us to know the spiritual realm exists that there's a battle with evil, and that we need to be aware it touches us every day in our everyday lives. So that's why the Apostle Paul includes in this section of his letter to the church at Rome that this is how you live. This is how you overcome evil. Now, of course, the Roman Christians uh, were faced with um, evil kind of it was quite in their face every day, right? They lived in the Roman Empire. They experienced evil. And the Apostle Paul was answering the question, so how will you respond? What will you do? And that's why this, is, this section is included here to the, to the church at Rome. And, it, and the text concludes with verse 21, which we read together, which is kind of like summarizes the whole uh, topic for this morning, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now keep that verse up there for just a second on the screen, because I want you to see that this is a chiastic structure. You may not have heard of that before. It's a Greek literary device, but we use it too, where words or ideas are presented one way and then repeated back in opposite order, and that's, that's just a, uh, it helps us remember, right? How about the phrase, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Yeah, it's a chiasm. And the interesting thing about this verse is that, a uh, little coincidence here, but, but the reference is also a chiastic structure, right? Romans 12, 21. So this will help us remember this verse for today. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, right? So there's two parts to this verse. Do not be overcome by evil, the defensive stance, hold your ground, but Paul doesn't stop there. We're commanded to go, as we said, on the offense in a way that really is shocking. Think about it. Overcome evil with good. It's so contradictory to our impulse, right? To sort of the natural way we're wired. And it's pretty opposite to the way the world works. It seems impossible. 
it seems like it's not possible to carry out. How does this work? Well, we must look to Jesus for how to live this way. And it was demonstrated to us already this morning in baptism, wasn't it? Dying to our old way, living to new life in Christ by the power of the Spirit. But we really do need God's help with this. So let's pray together and we will jump into this topic more deeply. Lord Jesus, you above all taught us how to overcome evil with good. So help us this morning, help us to uh, see how this is played out in our own lives probably every day, and how by the Holy Spirit's power, you are here with us, you give us the motivation and the ability to live like you did, and to live in this world as those who are citizens of a new kingdom, children of yours. So help us this morning, open your word to us, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to memorize this first by the time we're done this morning. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Well, I was listening to a podcast uh, recently by the late Tim Keller, and he was talking about this passage, and he had some super interesting things to say. So he says world religions actually have a lot in common ethically, like they'll have quite a bit of shared, maybe common ground ethically, like prohibition against murder and um, theft, dishonesty, that kind of thing. And on the other hand, you know, positive as well, upholding honor, truthfulness, other virtues. But here's the question to consider. What happens when people do wrong at your expense? When they break obvious moral principles, maybe fair play or right and wrong that we kind of all hold in common, how do we react? See, at this point, though there may be lots of common ethical ground, Jesus literally breaks out of the pack and gives his listeners this, and us this new ethic that is, that is very shocking. Love your enemies. Do good to those who mistreat you. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. See, these are, if that sounds familiar, these are Jesus' core teachings from his Sermon on the Mount. And these teachings are found then throughout the New Testament by the apostles who write to the Christians. It's uh, here in our text by Paul, but you can read the same words, hear Jesus' words uh, as they're reflected by Peter, 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Sound like Jesus? On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. This was a core teaching of the early church. It really defined who they were. But overcome evil with good? You know, this is truly, you could say, the highest model of human behavior that's ever been set before mankind. It seems hard to achieve. It seems mostly disregarded because it doesn't feel, feel like it makes sense or it, maybe it doesn't even feel re realistic. You know, you might say, well, we live in the real world. Where would anyone even get the motivation or the power to live like this? And why would I want to? It kind of runs counter to this inner sense of fairness or justice that we might have. So let's get practical. Evil. Evil, evil literally means without worth, worthless, devoid of all good, depraved, harmful, causing injury, immoral, damaging. Oftentimes we think of evil like in extreme ways, like 
demonic or something out there that's extremely evil. But the Bible uses the word evil all the time, and it's referring to anything that's opposed to God, anything that's opposed to his character. That's evil. So how do we respond when we encounter evil? Well, let's start in Romans 12 with uh, three prohibitions that Paul clearly gives. And the first one is in verse 14, do not curse, verse 14. Now, when we hear that, we think, do not, a profanity. No, this isn't referring to profanity really here, but it's referring to cutting someone down, slandering someone, insulting someone, wishing somebody ill. That's cursing someone. Now, in the Greek and Roman world, they were very familiar with curses. In fact, you could pay to have someone curse somebody else. They would uh, have these really thin pieces of lead, and, and you could pay to have someone inscribe a binding curse, they called it, on, on your enemy or your rival, and then you roll it up and you drop it into their well or into a fountain, and, and somehow it would spread through, through the water to do damage to someone that you wanted to cause, cause harm. You know, what do we do today? Well, there's the rumor mill at the office, or there's family gossip that goes around, or there's social media. We have our ways too. But in scripture it says, don't speak evil against each other. Don't speak evil against each other. So we call it what it is. It's evil when we tear someone down. Number two, Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Now repay, uh, repaying someone evil for evil is giving back in kind. And th this, is, this is like everyday life. Someone insults me, someone lies about you, immediately we wanna get even, right? We wanna pay back. You know, you hurt me, I'll, I wanna hurt you back. When I was really little, I think I was very little, although I can't remember how old I was, my sister and I were having a fight and she grabbed something from me, maybe a dollar a toy, and I bit her on the hand. <laughs> And she screamed, <laughs> and my mom comes running, and uh, I don't remember the whole interchange, but this I do remember. My mom grabbed my hand and bit me. <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, I, I don't remember what he, she said, but I do remember this she, very clearly. She said, well, just see, you just see how much it hurts now. And of course, then she had two crying kids, and I don't re recommend this necessarily as a way of <laughs> discipline. But I didn't bite my sister again. And isn't that how we feel? Well, I want you to feel how it hurts. You hurt me, I want you to feel it too. Number three, do not take revenge, verse 19. That's taking justice into your own hands. That's saying, I think I'm God. I think I know what kind of punishment needs to be dealt out here. But God is very clear, and it says in Romans 12 as well, vengeance is his. See, the Christians in Rome, again, they didn't have power. Their jobs were being taken away. They were losing their reputations. Their property was being confiscated. And Paul's addressing this question. How are you going to react? And it's like, how did Jesus respond? Let's start there. Peter said, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. He didn't repay evil for evil. When he suffered, he made no threats. He didn't curse. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He did not take revenge. Well, this whole teaching 
may be raising some questions in your mind right now, and it probably should. Questions like, what about systemic injustice? What about residential school abuse? What about Holocaust atrocities and sexual abuse? All forms of evil. Do, do victims just need to take it? Well, a guy much smarter than me, N.T. Wright, helps us out here. So it's a bit of a longer quote, but I think it's very important. We should note that this does not mean going soft on evil. Saying you shouldn't take revenge isn't a way of saying evil isn't real, or that it didn't hurt after all, or that it doesn't matter. Evil is real. It often does hurt, sometimes very badly indeed and with lasting effects, and it does matter. And this is perhaps one of the fundamental differences between Christianity and, say, Buddhism, because we believe in a creator God who made a good and lovely world. We believe that everything which defaces, distorts, damages, or spoils part of that creation is not just another variety of goodness, but is actually its opposite, evil. The question is, what are we going to do about it? See, we're clearly told not to take, you know, personal rep uh, retribution, not to take things into our own hands. But punishment for evil is not wrong in and of itself. Wrongdoing should be brought to justice. And in fact, our own inner sense of justice is, is kind of an indication that, you know, that this is, this is not, you know, that uh, wrong should be confronted. Like, we shouldn't shrink back in the face of injustice, especially when it's affecting someone who's more vulnerable. But this passage is about my reaction. It's about what's going on in my heart. And it's about my willingness to actually learn from Jesus when I've been wrong. And you may also be asking, well, what about war? What about taking up arms? What about the Middle East conflict that's on the front page every day? Well, you need to read on from chapter 12 of Romans to chapter 13 of Romans, where God does make provision for government, authorities to act, and to uphold the rule of law, to protect people. And that's for society as a whole. But that's not the context here in Romans 12 particularly. However, faithful Christians throughout the ages have, have often uh, been at the forefront about how to think about those questions. And Romans 13 is a good place to go. But let's be clear, this teaching is not saying just accept evil but rather, how will I respond to it? And one thing that's key, I believe, in how we respond to evil is humility. Humility. So my perception of, we need to come to this conclusion, I think, at, at some point. My perception of what's needed for justice will always be imperfect, will always be inaccurate in some way. Like, do we think that we could seek vengeance with absolutely pure motives, that we know everything that's going on in every situation, even against us. And instead, you know, you see this often in stories and movies, it's very common, personal vengeance becomes this dungeon of pain and bitterness, doesn't it? Um, think of a story like Count of Monte Cristo, or maybe a movie like um, Gladiator, or Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood, or John Wick, so I'm told. Um, there's so many examples of personal vengeance just going awry, right? And, and not accomplishing what someone would have hoped it would. See, in the end, when we face evil of all kinds, whether it's, you know, victims of 
terrorism or being unfairly treated by a friend. Jesus' radical teaching of how to respond to evil just won't make sense unless we're, unless we're able to trust that God understands that he is just and that we fundamentally believe that he will make things right. Like we live in this world that's, someone said, soaked in evil. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and he gives us a path to do the same. See, when we personally give in to retaliation or slander or gossip or resentment to personal injury, see, these are evil responses to evil. And we've just been sucked into the devil's schemes. Then, then we're the one who's defeated. When we get back at someone, we're simply piling on layer after layer of evil. And we'll be overcome by that evil. Gandhi said, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. See, there's the evil done against us, but then there's our reaction, right? We, res we nurse resentment or bitterness, or we cut someone out of our life, or there's harsh words, our hearts are hardened, relationships are broken. It's not just what's done to us, but it's the evil that comes from within us that just compounds it. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, if you know who that is, he, I think he won the Nobel Literature Prize in 2000, I don't know when, 2007, I think. But he spent years in a forced labor camp for speaking out against Stalin and communism in then Soviet Union. And his years of imprisonment really gave him insight into human nature. And he said this, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor political parties either, but right through every human heart. That's why Paul says, do not be overcome by evil. Like, this is not a suggestion. It's a command. In fact, this is a military term. Do not be overcome. Don't let evil conquer you. Don't let evil get the best of you. And how does that happen? Well, sadly, many of us carry deep wounds. We've suffered abuse. We've suffered betrayals. And, and we work hard not to let that get the best of us. But for everyone, day to day, it's often not the big things. It's someone, you know, offends you. Someone contradicts you. Someone accuses you of something. Someone takes you for granted. And inside we churn. Sometimes we attribute nasty motives. We withdraw to protect ourselves. But think, is that person my enemy? My spouse or my coworker, my teenager, my roommate? Is that person my enemy? They may be attacking me, but do I recognize what's happening in the spiritual realm? See, Satan's objective is to do what? Destroy, collateral damage in any way he can. That's why we pray, deliver us from evil. There's more going on that we can't see. In your anger, Paul said to the Ephesians, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. A foothold. Well, what is that? Well, this might help. Horsetail, who knows what horsetail is? It's like the most obnoxious weed ever. And it has gained a foothold in my garden. It's choking out my asparagus, it's wiped out my strawberries, and I've tried everything. I've tried pulling it up and digging it up and attacking it, but it goes so deep and it just, like, it can go like meters deep and, um, or, anyway but I've tried everything and when you when you just pull it, it breaks and it just multiplies it's terrible 
I've tried burying it, like covering it with black plastic. But did you know, horsetail just loves that dark, rotting, damp environment, and it just comes back stronger. So horsetail can grow clear under a driveway and come out the other side and take over. Horsetail has gained a foothold. It's a strategic position, and it's on full advance in my garden. And I'm like, <laughs> I surrender. But anger, likewise, gives the evil one the same kind of foothold in our lives. Satan's looking to occupy territory. And I under, you know, we understand feelings of anger towards injustice aren't necessarily wrong. But when we lash out, when we let it fester, when we hold a grudge, Satan's gaining a foothold. In Ephesians, this, this example is anger, but it could be any negative emotion. It could be worry or resentment, or if we live with repeated unrepentant sin, we give the devil a foothold. Unforgiveness, the love of money is the root of all evil. Think about it, if you had to identify one area in your life where the, the evil one has gained a foothold, maybe you might say like, where do, I, where do I keep tripping up? Where am I defeated over and over and over again? What would that be? See, we're not supposed to be unaware of the devil's schemes. Second Corinthians, Paul says um, very clearly that we forgive so that Satan will not outwit us. And that word is actually overcome us, the same. Forgiveness should be a normal practice for followers of Jesus. Forgiveness is so um, integral in this teaching, right? It's in a nutshell, leaving the whole situation, the person, in God's hands. Um, it, it's saying, I will not repay. I will not hold them in my debt. Now, it's not acting as if the wrong has never, didn't happen. And it may include steps to make sure it doesn't happen again. But here, I found so helpful, Tim Keller and his and in this book he wrote in the last couple years, right before he passed away, he says this, if we don't forgive, the wrongdoers essentially win. If we stay bitter for years, then the wrongdoers are robbing us of joy for years. If we take vengeance, then we in a sense have become cruel like them. If we think, I won't do that because it's just what the wrongdoer would want me to do, then the wrongdoer is controlling your behavior. In short, if you don't forgive, evil has defeated you. You're not living your own life, but one that's shaped by the wrongdoer. And when Satan is, uh, establishes a foothold, he'll always seek to make further advances. Back to my garden. Do you know there's only one thing that actually will eradicate horsetail? Change the environment. Change the environment. So when I raise the pH of the soil, uh, by adding good things like manure and compost and lime and that kind of stuff. Horsetail hates it. It just kind of gives up and eventually goes away. So our anger, resentment, or unforgiveness, or repeated sins gaining a foothold. Are you tired of just fighting it or burying it? Then change the environment. Bring your heart to Jesus. Open up to the Holy Spirit's work through prayer with others, gather with others. Jesus can renovate your heart and take back any ground that the evil one has planted, has tried to um, take over in your life. So horsetail is overcome by good things that my garden actually loves. 
So how do we overcome evil with good? Back to Romans 12. Don't curse, but bless. Don't retaliate. Be careful to do what is right. Don't take revenge. Leave that to God. And here's the kicker. Serve those who do you wrong. Notice Paul isn't asking the believers to simply practice self-control when provoked. That's good. But we're to do more than refrain from repaying evil. We're to initiate doing good to those who hurt us. Martin Luther King said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And since God is good and loving, that any time we bring his goodness into a situation that's hard or hurtful or evil, we bring Jesus and his kingdom into it. We push back evil. Some of you may remember a tragedy that happened in October 2006. It happened in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is actually where I grew up. And a random shooter entered a one-room schoolhouse, Amish schoolhouse, tied up um, 10 young girls and shot them and then himself. Five of those girls died. In the aftermath, and this was shocking to the whole nation, they witnessed the entire Amish community forgive the offender. Now, forgiveness wasn't a once-and-done thing. It wasn't just words. But collectively, the Amish community pushed back against the evil that could have multiplied in their hearts or in their community. And how did they do it? By blessing the killer's family. They brought them meals. They attended his funeral. They paid the widow's expenses. In 2012, Terry Roberts, the mother of the man who took the lives of the young Amish, uh, Amish girls, went, rode on a bus with the Amish families to Sandy Hook, Connecticut, by invitation. But the people there were shocked that Terry was with the Amish. They couldn't believe that the Amish would even associate with her, let alone travel with them. But the Amish believed that it was possible to overcome evil with good. And in fact, their response helps us make sense of verse 20 in our passage today. Remember, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. That's an odd phrase, right? Do the burning coals represent judgment or harm? No, that wouldn't be the context here. They're to win the person over, to restore relationship. This image likely refers to this ancient practice, it's an Egyptian practice actually, where a repentant person would come and publicly show their remorse by carrying a pot of burning, burning coals on their head. See, we overcome evil with good. And this often happens just through quiet choices that we make personally. We respond with a kind word. We forgive an offense. We go out of our way to treat somebody with respect who has been unkind to us. It's not easy to do. We need God's help to bless those who've caused us injury or harm. And of course, there's times when it is absolutely not appropriate to have any contact with an abuser. But in general, we look for ways to overcome evil with good. I remember one time, it was probably way more than one time, but I'm just gonna tell you about one time, I was so mad at my teenager. <laughs> And I, I really felt like I was justified in my anger, like they had behaved terribly towards me, or so I thought. After they left, left for school, it was my day off, so I sat down to read my Bible, and um, I was like seething, really angry, 
And I felt the Holy Spirit start to impress on me that I should really bless that child. <laughs> and I did not want to. But I got the impression I was supposed to, you know, clean the room and do all their laundry. And by the way, the room was a disaster. And so I cleaned and dusted and vacuumed and changed sheets and did all that. Um, I even got flowers and left a really nice note. Um, you know, to this day, I don't remember if that teenager was ever sorry or even had any response at all. But it didn't matter anymore. It didn't matter because my anger was gone. I blessed them instead of holding a grudge or trying to get them back. I overcame the evil in my heart by doing good. Now, this was not a common occurrence, so don't ask my teenagers how often I clean their rooms. But we often overcome evil in personal ways, maybe large ways, maybe small ways. But many times, like the Amish, this is a community thing. As a church, we can do good in ways that recognize that life is hard, that it hurts, it's a struggle, or it's lonely for many. So when people from this church community gather together and make meals or um, just show kindness, invite people in, serve at single moms, help with Alpha, love kids and families, donate to the food bank, whatever it is, together we are faithfully pushing back the evil that wants to destroy lives. We're saying no to things like despair or addiction or loneliness or hopelessness. Remember the shield that we talked about last week, the Roman shield? Well, it does a lot more than just stop arrows. The typical Roman shield could push back against the enemy when they stood in formation. It was this protective barrier that could advance against the enemy. In the same way, when we band together with Christians, it's like information. It strengthens our faith. And, and so side by side, we can go on the offensive against the evil one. Like when my apprentice group gets together and they pray for me, for me, that's pushing back evil. When this prayer team is available in the prayer room and here at the front after services, when you come for prayer, you're pushing back evil. And when your life group listens to you, cares for you, walks with you, pushing back evil in this world, the enemy loses ground. It really takes a lot of faith to live a life that looks outward, that blesses and serves and does good, especially if we feel that life isn't fair or maybe we want someone to look to us first or we're too busy or we can't be bothered. Uh, this verse just popped into my head and I actually had to look it up. It's, it, it's a, it was Peter, it's a great story, it's in Acts 10, you can check it out later, but Peter is sharing with Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, he's, and Peter says this, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Doing good, pushing back evil. That's what Jesus did. See, the world says, live for yourself. And Jesus says, live for others. The world says, make sure your needs are met. And Jesus says, meet the needs of others and your heavenly father will take care of you. And the world says, protect yourself. Don't let anyone take advantage of you. But Jesus says, spend your life for my sake and for the sake of others. You will be blessed. So being generous, serving children here, praying for others, welcoming strangers, they're all ways to do good 
in Jesus' name. And amazingly, the kingdom of God advances. It advances in a world that's hurting or angry or skeptical. So one last time, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. We're going to invite the band up now as we conclude. But let me just say this. Evil won't be eliminated on, in our world on this side of eternity. That ultimate victory is scheduled for someday in the future when Jesus returns. But all the same, evil can be defeated. Anytime Christians stand up and give back good to others, evil crumbles in the face of courageous or sacrificial love. Jesus was the perfect example of overcoming evil with good. When he went to the cross, he actually took the evil of my sin, yours, actually of all humanity, and he bore it in his own body as he went to the cross through his bloodshed. He bore that evil. And when he rose from the dead, he overcame and conquered that evil for good. He conquered death. And then, and then it's like a great exchange and God's goodness is imparted to us. And when we put our trust in Jesus, then, then we have the Holy Spirit who helps us forgive and helps us bless. And it frees us to love others with the forgiveness that we've received. As we watch these brave people get baptized today, they're doing what? They're walking in newness of life remembering that we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And giving back evil for evil is putting that to death and being raised to new life by the Spirit of God to overcome evil with good. That's freedom. Our response today is going to be first a song that the band is going to lead us in. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I but it's Christ in me that helps us to live this new ethic, this new idea of the kingdom that is so contrary to what we see around us in our world, but by the Holy Spirit, not I, but Christ in me. So let's pray that as we sing together. Thank you, worship team.